That was fun, huh? I didn't see anybody jump up and start dancing, though. What's up with that? So on a September 23rd, Gail Sayers passed away at the age of 77. Now, for rabid football fans, that name is immediately recognized as one of the greatest running backs of all time. Even though because of injuries, he effectively only played five seasons in the NFL. He was nicknamed the Kansas Comet, and he was regarded as one of the most difficult players to tackle. If you're not a football fan and you still recognize the name Gail Sayers, then maybe it's because there was this movie that was done called Brian's Song many years ago, and I think there was even a remake of it. The movie chronicled the friendship of two very unlikely roommates, Gail Sayers and Brian Piccolo. They were teammates on the Chicago Bears, and they were the first interracial roommates in NFL history, one white, one black, and 50 years ago, that was a big deal. Their friendship and what made the movie the movie that it was okay for men to cry at so impactful was that Brian Piccolo ended up dying of cancer in 1970. That same year, while Piccolo was fighting cancer, Gail Sayers received the George S. Hallis Most Courageous Player Award for coming back from his knee injury. In the movie, Sayers is played by Billy D. Williams, and he gives almost verbatim Sayers' acceptance speech. I'm no Billy D. Williams, but I'll read to you what he said in that speech. He said, I'd like to say a few words about a guy I know, a friend of mine. His name is Brian Piccolo, and he, is the, he has the heart of a giant and that rare form of courage which allows him to kid himself and his opponent, cancer. He has a mental attitude which makes me proud to have a friend who spells out courage 24 hours a day, every day of his life. He goes on and says, now you flatter me by giving me this award, but I say to you here and now, Brian Piccolo is the man of courage who should receive the George S. Hallis Award. And then right about now, you can cue up some background music. And he says, it's mine tonight and Brian Piccolo's tomorrow. I love Brian Piccolo and I'd like all of you to love him too. And tonight when you hit your knees, please ask God to love him. So what allows two men to defy the cultural norms? What moves not only two men, but an entire team, and for that matter, uh, has moved millions that have watched their story portrayed in the movie Brian's Song? And to be sure, it's a Hollywood version dramatized for effect, but anyone that has played on a special team or been part of a special team in business or in the military or in school will tell you there's something that happens when people come together and form a team. I believe God more than ever is calling his church to be a team. As I look around our community, our country, our world, we are in a moment where God needs his church to be his church. Of course, the church always begin with, is sustained by, and will always be about Jesus. As we're going to talk about today, he is the head. And I suppose for purpose of our illustration, he's the head coach. But then there's us, the people, those that call ourselves Christ followers or Christians. We are members of his church, and for some reason, God has chosen to work through his church. Today, we begin our fall series, Better Together, Living Out the One Another's. For those of you that are not familiar with that phrase, the one another's, it simply refers to the many times 
that the Bible teaches how we are to live with one another. One another is two words in English, but it's only one word in the original Greek, alelon. One another is used a hundred times in the New Testament. It's used some hundred times in 94 different New Testament verses. Half of those verses give instructions to followers of Jesus. 60% of them, as is today's, are written by the Apostle Paul. A third of them are about unity. Things like, be at peace with one another. Don't grumble among one another. Be of the same mind with one another. Don't bite, devour, and consume one another. Don't challenge or envy one another. Don't complain against one another. And then a third of them are commands for Christians to love one another. And it says things like, love one another. In the book of John, and Romans, and again in 1 Thessalonians, and 1 Peter, and 1 John, and 2 John. Or in places where it says, tolerate one another in love. Or where it says, greet one another with a kiss of love, just not during COVID. 15% of them stress an attitude of humility and deference among believers. Things like wash one another's feet, give preference to one another in honor, serve one another, regard one another as more important than yourselves. And then there's the rest of them. Things like don't judge one another, bear one another's burdens, speak truth to one another, encourage and build up one another, pray for one another. And obviously we're not going to cover all of them directly. I mean, I just whipped off half a year's worth of sermons. But we are going to cover some important ones over the next several weeks. In addition, our small groups are going to be going through this book, Building Up One Another, by Gene Getz. And he goes through in this book 12 of the one another, some of them that we'll be covering and some of them that we won't. If you aren't in a small group, then this is a great time to consider joining one. We talk about at Lake City being a church of small groups, not just a church with small groups. In other words, the way we meet the needs of our congregation in large part comes through our small groups. We have an amazing team of small group leaders and coaches that make it possible for about half of the people that call Lake City home to be connected to a small group. Of course, that also means that about half the people that call Lake City home aren't connected to a small group. And if that's you, I would encourage you to please consider checking out our small group ministry. There is another key reason that we are a church of small groups, and I'll talk about that a little later in the sermon. For now, I'll just say, please consider joining a small group. It'll be a great way to dive just a little bit deeper into several of these one another's. Of course, you might be sitting there a little hesitant because you, you're thinking, oh man, I know how this works. If I join a small group, it's like a lifetime commitment. Then maybe consider trying our, out our open group, Joe and Laura Devine lead an open group that meets every Sunday night, and it's intended, just like the name implies, to be open for people to come and go. Maybe you want to come and just dip your toe in the water and see what this is all about. Great, come, and if you decide, no, I don't think this is for me, great. No one's going to hound you or show up at your door, all right? But it's designed so you can join anytime, stay as long as you like, and if after visiting you think, I think I'd like to join a group, but maybe Sunday night isn't a good night for you, then the divines will help get you to a group that will fit your needs. After the service today, some of our small group coaches and myself will be out at the Faith at Home Center right outside that door. If you'd like to ask questions, if you'd like to get signed up for the open group or another one of the small groups, or we have the books on sale out there for $10 if you're just uh, wanting to get grab one of the books. 
But as we begin our series, we're going to spend some time today in 1 Corinthians 12. But before I go there, I want to read from uh, Romans 12, verses 1 through 5. And let me set it up this way. Romans, in the first 11 chapters of Romans, Paul lays out what's considered to be the clearest and most systematic presentation of the Christian doctrine in all of Scripture. And then here in Romans 12, he begins by saying, therefore. In other words, he's saying, now that I've explained this Christian doctrine, therefore. And so we read in uh, chapter 12, these words, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, if you've been a Christian for very long, then you know we could spend all day unpacking these two verses. And I just want to highlight a couple of things. First, this idea of presenting your bodies as a living sacrifice. That word, translated sacrifice, is also the word for killing. So in one sense, Paul is saying here to present your bodies as a living killing. See, the idea of animal sacrifice was you go to the temple with your lamb, you lay it on the altar, and you kill it as an offering to God. But a living sacrifice, that's a whole other ballgame. As D.L. Moody once said, the problem with a living sacrifice is that it keeps crawling off the altar. And this is important because the temple is no more. We talk about the church today. But if the last several months has taught us anything, it's that the church is not a building. We are the church. We are his church. And our lives are to be a living sacrifice. And then he follows these two verses up in verse 3 with this. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. So today I want to talk about what it means to be part of his church. Paul uses the analogy of the body, one body, but we are members of one another. And trust me, God's analogy is much better than mine, but the idea of teaming up helps me better understand and illustrate what Paul is teaching us here in Romans and then again in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So today I want you to consider, am I a team member or am I a me member? See, a team member requires that you be a living sacrifice. A me member requires no such commitment. A team member sees themselves as part of something bigger than themselves. A me member does not. If you would, turn to 1 Corinthians 12, and or you can look up on the screen. We're going to begin in verse 12. Unlike Romans, where in many ways Paul was speaking to a much more mature group of believers, the church in Corinth is different. Paul had to address a lot of problems, wrong theology and downright pagan sin. So here in 1 Corinthians 12, he again uses the metaphor of the body, but he really expands on it now, making sure that anyone, even in Corinth, even in 21st century America, would understand his meaning. We begin in verse 12 with these words, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. 
For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Then we jump to verse 27 where it says, Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. If you've been to our membership class, then you know that this is one of the key portions of Scripture that have led us at Lake City to have a membership. And here Paul again uses the metaphor of the body to illustrate his point. Though the word body is used here 19 times to represent the whole of Christ's church. And then the individual parts of the body represent the individual members. And the body is certainly a metaphor that we can all relate to. After all, we all have one. Of course, they come in different shapes and different sizes, different shades. My body responds to the signals from my brain, the head, and therefore it moves. The head says to walk, and I walk. The head says to run, and at least once upon a time, I ran. The way the body responds to things is by the collective efforts of its members. If I want to pick up this book, then the head says to pick up the book, and my legs and my arm and my hand, my eyes all coordinate so that I can complete that task. Of course, nowadays when I go out with my kids to play basketball, my head is still telling my body to do certain things. Jump high, run fast, cut. But the body isn't responding. So if the head tells the body to do something and it doesn't do it, either the body is getting too old or it's time to go see a doctor. And that's how the body of Christ is supposed to work. The head, Jesus Christ, directs his body, the church, and the members of that body carry out the dictates of the head. Of course, we all know that it doesn't always work the way it's supposed to. And that's why Paul wrote this letter for the Corinthians and for us to learn from today. So we can think of Paul as, the doctor. I want to use an acronym that if you have been a part of a team sport, you might have had a head coach uh, or heard a coach use this in his or her pep talks. The title of today's sermon is Teaming Up with One Another. And I want you to consider this maybe your locker room talk. I get to be your coach, right? Every coach has this. See, I could have called this sermon members with one another, but whether you're talking about being members or teaming up, the point is the same, working together for a common purpose or goal. And so today I want to use the acronym TEAM, T-E-A-M. Together, everyone accomplishes more. So we start with the word together, chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians starts off talking about spiritual gifts, and we come to verse 7, and we read this, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. God intended for His church to be together, 
to be connected. And why? For the common good. Even the gifts that by his grace we are given are intended for the common good. And I think more than ever, because of social media, and I know I can't blame everything on social media, but it has certainly exacerbated the issue. We don't understand what it means to be connected. I remember early in the history of cell phones, Kelly would, when Kelly and I would do parenting tech classes, she would talk about how the enemy had tricked us. How we were, we were led to believe that by, by dealing with our phone calls in the car and checking messages while we were waiting for an appointment, it would buy us time to do the really important things and have more time for the people we love. Instead, we know what happened. We filled up times when we could have stopped and maybe prayed or just thought or just listened with more business and tasks and just time wasters. It hasn't bought us any more time. It's just filled up whatever gaps we used to have. In a similar manner, I think we've been duped by the enemy when it comes to being connected. We think we're always connected to people. After all, I have 5,000 Facebook friends. I'm following my family on Twitter. I'm so connected to all of you. In fact, I'm guessing some of you are probably staying connected with people right now as I'm preaching this sermon. Just saying. The problem is that isn't all there is to being connected. And don't get me wrong, technology has allowed some really beautiful things in my life as well. I mean, I get to spend time and follow my grandkids in Tennessee and California that I would never have been able to do in the same way uh, prior to technology. I think about during the early days of the shutdown, we as a church were able to connect with one another in so many different ways. But this metaphor of the body speaks to something that's much deeper than simply texting back and forth. In fact, it speaks to something that's, uh, that goes beyond just being in the same location. When you reflect on the story of Sayers and Piccolo, that wasn't a friendship that was forged over text message. Verse 15 of chapter 12 says, If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. Think about the members of a body. If I chop off my hand and set it over there, I chop off my foot, I set it over here, besides being gross, we got a problem. Yes, all the members are in the same location, but they're no longer connected. See, we can all say that we are part of Lake City, but it takes more than that. And here's the thing, it's a two-way street. To be sure, the body misses out because how do I pick up the book without my hand? How does the body at LC3 fully function without one of its parts? But on the other side of that, the hand and the foot suffer because they're no longer connected to the body. They miss out on the life-giving blood. In the body of Christ, it's the life-giving spirit that each member receives from the body. So it's not just a collection of parts or members. It's being together. It's being connected as brothers and sisters in Christ. So are you a team member or are you a me member? A team member is connected. A me member just shows up when it's convenient. I know Tom talked about this when he preached in our vision sermon about the importance of being here, gathered. And I want to reiterate, we know that for some, you are in the right place 
because the right place for you right now is home. But it doesn't change the importance of staying connected. I mean, if you need to be home watching this online because of your health, then how else can you be connected? I remember when this quarantine first started, I was really good about gathering my family together and we would gather at the same time as the rest of the LC3 family and we would all watch the services together and comment together on Facebook and we were connecting virtually. Not the same, but it was the best we could do under the circumstances. But I know for me, not you, as time went on, it became easy to just pause the TV so I could go make a sandwich or pause the TV if somebody stopped by. Maybe I'd get right back to it. Maybe I wouldn't. It was convenient. But I found myself becoming a me member instead of a team member. And then, of course, even attending on weekends can be even more inconvenient. After all, and I'm preaching to the choir, the Seahawks are playing right now. Nobody yell out the score because somebody probably doesn't want to hear it. But here's the thing. I'm speaking to myself. And the truth is, it has to be more than just attending church, whether we're talking live or virtual. Connections like Piccolo and Sayers had, they are forged because they are in battle together. They worked, they sweated, they sacrificed, they prioritized. They are connected. They are together. So are you a team member or are you a me member? A team member will work to be connected together with the rest of the body. A me member says, I'll be around at least when it's convenient. So together, everyone. Verse 17 says, if the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. So not only is is it important that we are connected, but it's important that we have everyone. Quick, whose jersey am I wearing? See, most of us, or at least a lot of us, know that this is Russell Wilson. But who plays right guard for the Seahawks? I can tell you who knows who plays right guard for the Seahawks, besides me, because I looked it up. Do you know who knows who plays right guard for the Seahawks? Russell Wilson. That's right. He wouldn't think of going into a game without Damian Lewis protecting him. And why? Because today, lining up across from Damian Lewis are guys like Raquan Davis, six foot seven, 330 pounds, and fast. You might not know the name Damian Lewis, but I promise you, Russell Wilson knows that name. Because Wilson may very well end up being the MVP this year in the NFL, but it won't happen without guys like Damian Lewis. In the body of Christ, it's easy to focus on the visible members. Like the body, we think, my eye is... It's so important, and it is. Or we say, my hand, it's so critical, and it is. Those visible parts of our body are so important, but what happens if your lungs stop working? Or your heart stops beating? Anybody ever have appendicitis? Suddenly, those invisible members become very visible. So it is with the body of Christ. Everyone is important. And Paul is reminding us that everyone, not just those of us up front, not just those of us leading ministries, everyone is needed. 
Simple things like earlier when I blew the whistle. You don't know this, but back there Lloyd muted my mic because otherwise you would have been all mad at me. And listen to this because this is important. The head, Christ, directs the body and the body needs everyone, but everyone needs the body. Let me say that again. The body needs everyone and everyone needs the body. And I know some of you might be thinking right now, baloney, Pastor David. I can love Jesus, go to heaven without having to show up here every week. Maybe. But that's not how God designed us. He designed us to be in community. That's why Hebrews 10 reminds us, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Then Ecclesiastes 4 reminds us two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. God intended for us, everyone, to do this journey together. The body needs everyone and everyone needs the body. And then I mentioned earlier that there's even more reason why small groups, why we are a church of small groups, than simply because it provides the needs of the congregation. See, one of the ways that the bodies, and in this, the body, and in this case, small groups, serves its members is by providing opportunities to use your gifts, for the hand to be a hand, for the foot to be a foot. See, without small groups, it would be easy in a church our size to just get, kind of get lost in the crowd. We don't want that to happen but it requires us to be a team member and not a me member. A team member is interdependent with everyone. A me member goes it alone. So together, everyone accomplishes. We live in a culture that's all about accomplishment. We often base our self-worth on what we accomplish. It'd be easy in the church to base our value on our accomplishment. But in Romans, Paul gives us a different perspective right after those verses telling us that our bodies are to be a living sacrifice, he says in verse 3, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. In other words, Paul's saying that his position of apostle is a grace given to him, not something he deserved or that he earned. In fact, he goes on later and says, You know, I'm the least of the apostles. And guess what? We're in the same boat. Regardless of what we're doing, what position we might have, it's a grace given to us. So Paul says we shouldn't think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. He's saying, listen, you ain't all that. What we accomplish then doesn't become something that defines us, but rather something that we understand is all from God. So on the one hand, I'm to understand that the gifts given to me are a grace from God. I'm not to think too much of myself. But on the other hand, I must recognize that I'm not to think too lowly of myself or my gifts. After all, it's God who has assigned these gifts. And am I now to say to God, God, I think maybe you messed up. In fact, Dr. Gene Getz in the book that our small groups are going to go through suggests that even our understanding of seeking out spiritual gifts might be a part of what leads us to be a me member as opposed to a team member. Generally speaking, and it's certainly true here at Lake City, 
We use Paul's teaching that comes in chapter 14 to encourage our members to seek out their individual spiritual gifts. And Dr. Getz uh, says that based on the text and the context, that what Paul is really saying is that the we refers to the church collectively and not the individual. In other words, he's saying that we, the church, collectively should be seeking out the gifts that we collectively should experience in our midst to edify we, the body, and be building up the body. I remember when Tavita, our third child, was graduating from high school. We knew he was heading to Stanford, but football started in August. But one day he got a call from one of the senior captains and said, hey, we want you to come down this summer and hang out with us. He's, the guy said, we'll find you someplace to sleep. And it turned out to be the couch of one of the players. And we'll make sure you get fed. This wasn't something that was sanctioned by the school. It was just players being team members. See, rather than working on just their own gifts and skills and just trying to get themselves better, they wanted the team collectively to grow and to improve. One more thing about this idea of accomplishing that I think is important. And it's the reason I believe Paul emphasizes the we part of the gifts. On any team, one of the biggest challenges is maintaining unity. When you hear people talk about NFL teams, you'll often hear them talk about the locker room. How's the locker room? And trust me, no one cares about the showers or the lockers. That's not what they're talking about. But how are those gifts? How are those big personalities? How are those egos doing with each other? In other words, is the unit, is there unity in the locker room or is there disunity? Is it full of team members or me members? Because if it's full of me members, it's just a matter of time before it'll all fall apart. That's why Jesus in his prayer in the garden, he's getting ready literally to carry the sins of the world to the, to the cross. And his prayer to the Father that we read in John 17 is this, I do not ask for those only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them, even as you loved me. Did you catch that? He's praying not just for his disciples, but for those that will believe in him through his word, through their words. That's you and me. He's talking through history to us today. He's praying for our unity because that's how the world will know. Never has the, that prayer been more important and in many ways seem more unreachable. There's so much division out there. If anyone happened to catch the debate, you know what I'm talking about. But what about in here? How are we doing about the things that we don't agree on? Can we have unity in spirit and love and heart, even if we can't agree on what we should do about masks? Even if we can't agree on who we should vote for? Even if we can't agree on how to deal with racial injustice? And just as a, by the way, uh, just because I want to say this, wherever you stand, we are called to pray for our leaders. And so I would just say, pray for President Trump and the First Lady right now. 
Teams, churches that are able to find unity, show empathy. Even when there's disagreement, are able to accomplish great things. So together, everyone accomplishes more. I have to be honest, my biggest fear with us spending all fall on the one another's is that it has the potential to make us look inward at a time when the church really needs to be looking outward. And to be sure, we can't look outward if we aren't first healthy on the inside. I mean, after all, a sick body is no good to anyone else. But my question today is, together, everyone accomplishes more. More what? And this is where we come full circle. Christ is the head, our church is the body, and we are the individual members of that body. The head dictates what the body is to do, and that's what our vision series last month was all about. Love God, love people. We, the body, are to love God, love others, and love the world. That's why Lake City has the mission statement that we have. It can't just be about us circling the wagons. I love the illustration, the vision of us all forming a circle. When we prayed for the last time in the old sanctuary, we all circled around and held hands, and it was beautiful being able to be connected to one another and see each other eyeball to eyeball. It's a great picture of the church. But I believe a better picture of the church is for us to be circled up, hands joined together, but facing out, connected to the body in that spirit that's life-giving, but looking out at the mission that God has for us individually and as a body. And that's why membership here at Lake City is based on us collectively listening to the head, Christ, guided by his word, the Bible, on a specific mission here in a specific location for this specific time in history. In sports, one of the most difficult things to do is to maintain success. Teams will often have a quick spurt of success, but those things that we know as dynasties rarely happen because it's hard to maintain for a lot of the reasons we've been talking about. But I believe a big reason is it's hard to keep sight of the more. I love the Marvel movies. In fact, Kelly and I might have just watched all 23 Marvel movies in chronological order. Actually, Kelly slept through most of them, but I watched them all. And I don't know if you know this, but the first 21 Marvel movies literally happened to set up the 22nd Marvel movie, a movie called Endgame. And there's a scene in the movie that really made me wrestle. And I know some of you are thinking, dude, it's a movie. But, you know, I am always looking for lessons in movies that I enjoy. Only I didn't know what to do with this lesson. And so without going into too much detail, let me, let me explain. The, the Avengers, they're the good guys. They're trying to rescue their friends and they're trying to beat the bad guy, Thanos. Like all action movies, there's, of course, risk involved. And so Iron Man, he's one of the key leaders of the Avengers. It's been like five years since they suffered this huge defeat to Thanos and they lost half of their friends. And Captain America is trying to convince Iron Man that they need to take the risk and they need to go rescue their friends. The problem is, in that five years since that stunning defeat, 
Tony Stark, who is Iron Man, now has a wife and a daughter and a really good life on the lake. He finally agrees to go and he says this to Cap. That's Captain America for you non-Marvel fans. He says, we got a shot, but I got to tell you, my priority is to bring back what we lost. I hope so. Yes. Keep what I have. I have to at all costs and maybe not die trying would be nice. And I wrestled with this quote because I get it. We want to keep what we have, especially when we are having some success. I think about Lake City. Last week, Pastor Jim announced a bombshell. After some 20 plus years where we've had some of the most consistent godly leadership a church could ask for, that leadership comes out and announces that there's going to be a change. And our natural inclination is, no, I'm comfortable. I like my house on the lake. But I believe God calls us into community. God calls us to be connected together so that we can, all of us, everyone, accomplish more. But I believe that more is so much bigger than just LC3. I'm so excited about the future of Lake City, and I can't wait to see how the head, Christ, is going to use Tome, a member, to lead this body in this next season. You look around, our community, our country, our world needs the church now more than ever. Throughout these one another's, I hope it will drive us to be the body of Christ. At LC3, we are on a mission to love God, to love others, and to love the world. And we need you, every one of you, young, old, new believer, lifelong follower, to be a team member and not a me member, because together, everyone accomplishes more. Will you pray with me? Father God, thank you that you are the head. Thank you that in your infinite wisdom, you have chosen to work through your church, the body of Christ. And God, I pray that today at Lake City, we would be the church that you've called us to be. Help us to be team members, to be what we need to be, to move the mission that you have given to us as a church. Thank you for the leadership here. I pray that for continued wisdom there. Thank you for the members. I pray, God, that you would continue to bless us, bless our, bless our body, but mostly, God, that you would continue to use us as you have designed to use us. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name.